Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. D. Rose Hope experienced a great deal of death in her life at a young age. In fact, she talks about in this chat within a span of about two, three years, losing 10 people close to her in a short period of time. But she also shares how much she buried that grief and how it rose to the surface through things like envisioning important people in her life dying. So you can imagine from a younger age how challenging that must have been for her. So we talk a lot about how she had a lot of this grief that she had suppressed come to the surface, how she dealt with it, particularly as a mum, as a wife, and just navigating her own way through life, what she learned and how she's been being able to get herself out the other side and live a life not of death but of miracles and incredible possibilities. Enjoy. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's guest, Dee Rose Hope. Dee, how are you? Hi, so good. How are you, Ian? Very well, thank you. We met a few years ago. You've you've been someone who's given me some incredible wisdom and guidance over the years, and I appreciate that. I know this is this one's going to be uh, a great chat, and it's probably going to be based on what the conversation before we hit record. It's going to be a, a, an emotional one. So, looking forward to this to share your story. So, we talk about grief, and most people can relate to it to to big moments in their life, and and. Most of the conversations I have, it's people like later in life. But you said you were in your sort of mid-teens and you had a period of a couple of years where like you experienced loss like that had a quite a profound effect on you. So please do share that part of the story, Dee. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, you know, uh, grief has been, you know, a friend of mine for a long time. And, you know, I would say there was even grief as an early child, not because I had a poor upbringing or anything. In fact, on the contrary, I had an amazing uh, family. My parents were loving. But when I hit um, my early teens, uh, people started to die around me. And it was a cousin, it was a grandparent, it was an aunt and uncle, it was all these tragedies that struck our family. And so I remember thinking, how many funerals do I have to go through this year? Like, how many am I going to have? And then another person would die. Um, Several of those were suicides um, for people that were struggling with mental illness. And one in particular uh, was a friend of mine. 
And um, this friend of mine, it's interesting because um, I had a connection with him. You know the soul connection when we just feel like we're soul family. And this um, particular, I, I'm going to call him a man. He was a couple years older than me, and I was probably about 16, 17 at this time. And uh, and he had a crush on me, but I was seeing somebody else, so I turned him down and rejected him. But we remained friends. Uh, however, in several weeks after that, he took his life. And I remember feeling this overwhelming sense of responsibility for that. You know, and then part of me was like, oh, Deanne, you're so egotistical to think that this guy would take his life because you rejected him. But it was more than that. Do you know what I mean? It was it was more about what could I have done? How could I have not seen the signs? How could I, you know, all of that. And so I took on this great deal of responsibility for that. And at the same time, I also was dealing with all of the loss that I had experienced. And so what I did was I created these nice little walls of protection. (laughs) I started to not get to attach to anyone or anything because I thought, well, if I'm not attached to all of this, then I'm free and clear. Now, the good news is that his spirit came to visit me in a dream and it absolved all of those feelings that I had thought and that pressure and the guilt and shame and everything that came with it. Um, So it was a beautiful, a beautiful experience for me in that I was able to let go of a lot of that, but I still was connected to this trauma around death and death remained a theme for me, even into my adulthood because I became an EMT and firefighter. So even in that experience, I would be with bodies of dead people. There was a lot going on in my mind. Let me tell you around um, our life and what it meant. I grew up really fast because of that. However, I still wasn't really dealing with the grief. I thought I was, but I really was just holding it sacred within myself. <laughs> yeah. you know? And and so it, it was, you know, I was that type of person that when something bad happened, like a death or a loss, I don't sit and wallow. I'm a get up and let's go to the next thing and let's keep myself busy and keep myself moving forward. So that's how I dealt with it. And that's how I thought I was supposed to deal with it. And so I ended up moving that energy into my career and bringing that with me. And, you know, I'd mentioned this before we even started recording today. I remember for years and years and years, my process in dealing with loss and grief was to imagine all the people that I loved dying. So I would create these scenarios in my mind. And it was like a movie, right? And I could see, you know, my mom getting an accident and me getting the call and me having to deal with that and what I would do and what I would say and how it would be. And I would do that for this person and that person. And what I didn't realize what I was doing (laughs) is I was emitting that energy out into the world. I was actually creating and setting the tone for more death to show up and more death to show up and more death to show up. And so, you know, even though I experienced a lull, you know, after high school and having, you know, 10, 11 people die in a very, you know, two, three year period there, there was a bit of a lull, like it started to spread out. And so I started to, you know, kind of not maybe create those visuals of of people dying anymore. And I started to, you know, move myself into other places. But then guess what would happen? Somebody would die. 
and it would send me right back into that space again. Mm. And so it really limited my ability to deeply connect with people because if I got too close, I wouldn't want to lose them. Right. So if I kept them a little bit uh, at a distance, then I was safer. Mm. So when you think back to the, that of those moments and that one particular with the, the friend who had the crush on you, did that guilt that then had presented there then snowball each time you were presented with more loss? Well, almost every time, actually. So even though he had come to me in that dream as a spirit and and Mm -hmm. I had released that, it was like it was a trigger that could get, you know, sparked every time. And so, you know, my, my cousin ended up taking his life. I felt guilt and shame for that. Like, why didn't I recognize my cousin was struggling so much, you know? Um, you know, another friend of mine died by a drunk driver. And I thought, oh, how could I have not been there? You know, like, so every single one I had to move through, not just the grief of losing that person, but it was almost like guilt and shame for still being here. Mm. For being here, yeah. So, how did that play out? Because you 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 kind of move forward in the in the um, timeline quite quickly there, but there must have been times where you were in quite a dark place yourself. Like, how did you process that? Make sense of it? How did you deal with the guilt? Well, I want to add to that layer of guilt, just so people know too. I also had two near death experiences. So I had my first when I was five and my dad saved my life. I choked on a round candy. Um, He, I went completely unresponsive, had an out of body experience and he was able to get that candy out using his thumb and pushing against the wall of my throat to pop it out. Get it, getting me breathing again and what have you. Um, My second near death was in my twenties. And so that second near death and coming back, that was a complication from surgery. And it was a beautiful experience because I got to be with angels and we'll, we'll table that. Maybe we can get to that story later, but nonetheless, um, those near deaths also added to the shame and guilt, right? Because why does that person get to live, but, or get have to die, but I, I get to live. Why is that? So it showed up for me in this escapism, in a way, like if I could just escape this human world for a little bit, then I wouldn't feel those feelings. And that was when I really started to come to terms with addiction. Mm-hmm. So I am uh, a highly addictive person. Um, I've been a workaholic. I'm addicted to sugar. Um, I was addicted to alcohol. Um, I also was addicted to marijuana. So I had all these tools in my toolbox that weren't really healthy tools, but they were normal tools because everyone else was doing it too. Mm. (laughs) So the circles that I hung around with were doing the same darn thing. They were using this escapism to free themselves of the burdens of the feelings that they felt or the reality that they were in. And so that was my coping mechanism for over a decade. And, um, and I was very sick as a result. So I, yeah, physically I was, it, it knocked me out. Uh, thank you for sharing that because I know that's a journey that many have been on, maybe still on, uh, 
using that escapism, that avoidance tactic from from facing what's been sitting there. How did you come to the point? Was there was there a moment there through the addiction that that forced you to get clean, or was it something else that triggered a, a change? Well, the first thing to know is that I could justify my behavior because I wasn't like a drinker every day. Like I could, I could go from Monday until the weekend, but then the weekend it would be binging. Right. Um, And so I, I didn't really even define myself as an addict at that point. I was really in resistance to that. But what really changed the game was after the birth of my son. So I have two kids. They're now 12 and nine. uh, And, um, after my daughter, she was my first, you know, I, I, I fell back into the trap because it was just easy and it was another coping, you know, continuing to cope in whatever way. And then with my son, I experienced a great deal of postpartum. And there, there's one pivotal moment. And I'm, I, I actually carry a lot of shame about this moment. Um, I've only ever spoken about publicly once. But there was a night out where we had gotten sitters for the kids and we were in a town a little ways away. And my husband at the time was a big party animal, too, which also normalized the behavior. Mm -hmm. And we got a a call from the babysitter to say the kids are both puking and they're sick and whatever. And at that time, we had planned to spend the night where we were, but I wanted to just go home. My ex-husband, he didn't want to go home. He wanted to stay and party. So I went home in a cab by myself, intoxicated around midnight, one o'clock. I got home, relieved the babysitter, put my head on the pillow. And not a few minutes later, I hear crying and it's my son. And he's probably about, at this point, he's probably about six, eight months. Um, And so he's up sick. He's puked everywhere. And I'm still a little out of it because I've been partying all day. (laughs) And and so I start running the bath and get that all ready for him. And I'm cleaning all his stuff up and I've got him in my arms and I go to put him in the bath. The water was scalding. And so he started screaming. And, you know, it the shame that I carried for that. I've even talked to him about it uh, with him um, as a young kid. I said, do you remember this happening? (laughs) Mommy did something and I accidentally burned you. And, you know, obviously I took him out right away and everything was okay. And it wasn't a serious burn, but it rocked me to my core. And I thought, this is not how I'm supposed to show up in this world. And this is not how I want to be for my kids. And um, it was shortly after that, that I started doing this deeper spiritual work. And even though I had had a near death experience just a few years before, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're near death. It probably was a catalyst and you probably went the right path right away. No, no, no. It took me many years to figure that out. But that was one of those key moments where I was like, I don't want to be this anymore. And not only that, but my health was being compromised. I was, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at that same time. My body was aging. I felt like a nine-year-old woman. And I was severely depressed. I was miserable. I had the million-dollar family. I had a high-paying career. Everything from the outside looked roses. It looked perfect. But I literally was feeling my soul die. Mm-hmm. And so 
that was a big catalyst for me in starting to change um, what I was doing. And eventually I left that partner. So um, we got divorced and, um, and I was able to change my life completely. And so it took some of those key pieces to really swing me <laughs> around. And, um, and so, you know, as I moved through that process, again, guilt and shame is coming up over that too. And I had to grieve the loss of that marriage, you know, and grieve the loss of what I thought it was going to be and what my life was going to be. Um, but the beautiful part of all this is that it was through those experiences that I realized that I had this innate God power within me, this higher self within me, this divine, perfect, infinite energy was within me. And so once I started to clue into that, I could then leverage that and I could channel that and I could allow that to be my compass and my guide so that I could make better decisions. So good. And so, so that, that's ultimately what it ended up coming to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. It, it, I had a similar um, moment with alcohol and a child, which I don't think I've ever told publicly. So um, you've inspired me because I, so I will, I'll put that out on the podcast at a later date. Um, but it's amazing that if we don't listen to messages around our addiction, then the messages get bigger. Um, so it'd be something for the listeners to ponder there as well. So Can I add something, Ian, to that, though? Because I think it's really important for listeners to understand that we are brought into a world to be addicts, whether it's TV, cell phones, food, drugs and alcohol. It is being fed to us in droves. Yeah. So we are constantly being bombarded, you know, constantly. You know, I look at my kids playing games and I'm already like, okay, guys, we need a break from that. And you could tell they're already hooked in. So I just, I'm not saying don't take responsibility for addiction, but what I am saying is that there's an element of no wonder, no wonder we have struggle with addiction. No wonder, because all that we've been fed from the beginning is to put the bandaid on to put the bandaid on. Oh, here's a medicine for this. And here's a drug for this. And here's a solution for this. And so it's almost like in a way we don't stand a chance unless we understand the God power that we have within us. Mm, very good. Thank you for sharing that. It's yeah. The, the moment we're watching any sort of screen, it's like, they're not, they're like narcotics in themselves, the advertisements and the, I need more, I need more. I want that. I want that. Like it's, yeah, you're right. So yeah, it's, it's something that I talk about a fair bit is like, it's not your fault, but it is, as you pointed out, it's your responsibility. Yeah. So you went from having a drive that wasn't beneficial where you threw yourself into your work in the emergency services but then being able to shift into a, a drive that what I would describe as the gift in the grief, right? When, when you have that moment of realisation of, oh, actually, okay, I didn't want to go through all of that, but, but here's the blessing and what can I do with that? So how were you able to, to shift that from, from one type of drive that you knew wasn't helpful to another one which was, like you said, it's a connection to this godlike part of us? Yeah, I love that question because I think it really comes back to our ability to alchemize. And we give fear and we give grief and we give anger and we give all of those low vibration energies a bad rap. 
But the reality is, is that they are all gateways for us for more, for understanding, to leverage. And so what I came to understand, and of course, I took some training as I was being called by spirit. But what I came to understand is that I had the ability to take that grief and turn that grief into something valuable for myself. To alchemize that energy, to, to, to transform it. And so I could have stayed in that space where, you know, I kept bottling the grief. But the reality was, is that if I did that, I, I was going to be sick. Yeah. So I had another catalyst in that I had a cancer scare that was an, an, another piece for me that made me start to realize, oh my gosh, I'm carrying a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> I'm yeah. carrying a whole lot of stuff that, that I haven't dealt with. And so I did have to go through a bit of a process of deeper suffering as some of the stuff came to the surface. But as it came to the surface, I was able to allow myself to be an observer rather than the, the participant in it. So that was one of the keys for me. The first thing was to become the observer and say, ah, I see myself suffering or I see myself hurting in that or I see myself in pain around that. And to just watch myself in a way that just accepted ever so lovingly, whatever that was. And so the next piece for me was then to look, to not just see it as, okay, there's grief there, but to actually see that grief as something so childlike and so innocent. And so I started to use this technique. It was guided, it was channeled to me, um, where, you, where I cut my hands and I pretend like I'm holding a sweet little bird you know, or a kitty cat or something that's really sweet, right? Yeah. And then I started to have a conversation with that energy. So I became the, uh, the observer first, observed. Then I brought that energy into my radar where I could lovingly hold it, where I could give it the space and the love that it actually needed. And so I started to have conversations. I started to say, hey, grief. Oh, you're showing up again. Oh, you mean I didn't deal with you? Whatever that conversation is, right? Yeah. And I would say, I see you. And I know you're here for me to grow and to learn. Thank you. As soon as I started to have that conversation, guess what would happen, Ian? That energy of grief already was alchemizing. It was already turning into love or turning into some other energy that wasn't low vibration. So it's kind of like a kid, you know, a kid will be like, mom, dad, mom, dad, until they're like pulling at you. Grief, anger, resentment, all of those energies, same thing. They just want our love and attention. That's what they want. That's what that energy needs. And so that's ultimately what I came to is like, okay, I can watch myself in the discomfort and I can be okay with that. I can observe without, you know, judging the experience, but then I can go in and I can alchemize that energy by lovingly holding space for that energy. And so then that grief, it just started to naturally go away. I didn't have to work at it. I didn't have to like focus on grief for weeks at a time. It just was like, oh, you see me. Okay, good. I'm off. Good to go. Thanks so much. <laughs> I got what I needed. Bye. And it naturally went away. And I healed myself. By the way, I no longer have fibromyalgia. Okay. My doctor cleared me of fibro. Okay. Awesome. 
You know, is that fantastic? You know, like absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and can I just, just can I just highlight a couple of things there? Because oh, yeah. when you when you talked about alchemize, like I get the I got the liver pain. And then when you talked about understanding, I got nausea. And then you said, and then you said talked about getting sick, right? And it's like what you just described there is learning how to be independent in your healing. And so for people listening, just go back and listen to that last part. Be the observer, acceptance of what's there, hold the energy, give it love have conversations with the pain and then and then give appreciation for what it's teaching you because the grief energy needs love and attention oh tingles because then we don't have to then go from because this was my experience i don't know if you can relate to this you go from okay i've got all this pain and then you 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 get someone heals you and you're like oh that was cool i want to do that again and again and again, and it comes to the point where I'm like, I've shifted out of this this space that was pain into this blissful space, but it just keeps you in a different kind of stuck. It does. But you, yeah, but what you described there is a very real tool to help you to be able to self-alchemize and, and heal the grief. Wow, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I mean, it, it changed my life just going through that in itself, right? It, that process changed my life. Um, and and I can't I can't take credit for it. It came from my divine team. It came from source, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things, again, to remind us, we do have the innate ability to heal. We were created to heal. You know, you remember, you know, Superman cuts his hand and then it heals immediately, right? In the movies. Yeah. We to be able to do that too as human Absolutely. beings. Yeah. We've just slowed the process down because we've muddled it up with all this, you know, garbage energy and conditioning and, you know, programming and limited beliefs and all that stuff. So when we start to kind of clear that energy away by loving on that energy and receiving the value of it, then all of a sudden we've opened up the channels for us to be able to finally heal. And that is where miracles happen. And we are capable. We've been giving our power away for many, many, many years to the doctor, to the whomever, you know, um, saying, oh, I'm not capable of that. I don't know how to do that. You do know how to do it. It's so good. I'm not capable. Um, you touched on something that's really powerful for anyone who is in a service industry role. There are times where you develop your craft and you get training and you become better than competent and you can get caught in ego and go, Oh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fucking amazing at this. And you can get stuck in that space. But what you just described there, it's the ability to get to that expert level is actually your ability to connect to the intuition, to your higher self. And then it takes all the ego out. It's like, no, no, you're just the conduit to help other people find that within themselves. And then you can stop putting the pressure on yourself needing to be so good and instead do what you described there, which is it's divinely guided. Yeah. Call it God or intuition, your higher self, however you want to look at it, we all have that power. And as you said, that's where the miracles happen. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, yeah. so you said you went through all of that and you said to me and then you lost the love of your life. So. So yeah. is this is this post post uh, marriage breakup? Yeah. So actually, I met this person um, when I was still with that husband. 
Um, and, um, and he was a comedian. He would travel all over the world. Um, and he, uh, you know, again, these soulmate connections, I mean, you can't deny them, right? You just feel that energetically and it's so powerful. And I remember feeling him before I even saw him. I could, I could, I remember that he was actually at a comedy show. And needless to say, I was looking for a comedian to do one of my events. So how convenient that we end up starting, you know, as a professional relationship. And we kept it professional because, you know, obviously I was going through a complicated experience in that time and I wasn't ready for anything serious. But he ended up being such a beautiful sounding board and he ended up holding space for me as I moved through my divorce and we became very close friends. Um, and, you know, for several years, we were friends on the regular. We would talk almost every day. We would, you know, coordinate visits when he was traveling in my general area and vice versa. And, you know, really interesting story happened, actually. Uh, several months prior to his death, I started getting visions. So this goes back into my intuitive gifts and abilities. And so um, to, to help the listeners too, I am an intuitive medium. So that's what I do professionally as well now. And, um, and so I started having these visions of his death. And I thought, Deanne, you're getting, you're, you're creating your visions again. You're putting your movie reels out there. Like you're doing this to yourself, right? So yeah. I went into that space right away. And I, and I thought, okay, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> no, no, no. Like whatever I needed to do, I tried to clear the energy, you know. Um, and then a few weeks later, I get another vision. And this time it feels so compelling that I need to say something. So I sent him an email because I didn't know it was pretty long winded and I didn't know how to articulate it. And I said, I know you think my intuitive stuff is a little bit out there, but <laughs> I'm inviting you to make a different choice. So at that time, he was making a choice to do something. <laughs> and I won't get into the politics of what he was choosing to do. But he anyway, he was making a choice. And I said, can you just wait? Like, I just have a feeling and I'm asking you to just maybe put it on hold. But because he was a comedian, he felt like he needed to go through with this particular treatment procedure, whatever you want to call it. Anyways, um, I had the vision a couple more times as well. And every time I'd be like, okay, delete, clear, clear, clear. But we had a trip planned together. And so I, 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 I decided we're going to go and we're going to have this awesome trip. And we have this beautiful trip together. It was wonderful and amazing. And it was everything that I could have imagined it to be. And, um, and it really solidified our bond together as well. And I traveled home from that trip. And a week later, I get a call from his friend. And his friend, she says, D, he, he died in his sleep, having a nap in the afternoon at 47. So he had a sudden death and I knew in my gut, right? Like as soon as I heard her voice on the phone, I could feel my heart already sinking. I knew, I knew that that the, my premonition had come to fruition. And at the beginning I was like, Oh my gosh, Deanne, you should have done more. You should have known better. You know, you could have gotten him help when you were here, you know, on the trip or whatever, like all of these things again, like you said, does that guilt and shame ever come up again? Oh yeah. Every time it's triggered. <laughs> what more could I have done? Especially being a, a psychic intuitive, 
sometimes we get these visions and we feel like we need to save the world. And the truth of the matter is that we are not meant to necessarily interfere with the natural flow of life. Can we step in and say something if we feel compelled? Yes, we can, but he ultimately had the choice. He had the power of free will as we all do. And so understanding the power of free will was one of the pieces that was really important for me in then letting go of that guilt and shame. And I will say, I use the same technique on the guilt and shame by loving it, holding it and you know leveraging it. But this was a piece for me of understanding that everyone has the choice and how they step forward and how they move forward in life. And so I, I moved through the guilt and shame much more quickly than I think I would have in the past. Um, I'm still grieving, though. Um, I haven't completely alchemized that grief. I don't know if I ever will, Ian. Um, I imagined a life with this person and I loved him deeply. And thankfully, I was surrounded by lots of other amazing people that loved me deeply in my life, too, that were able to help me move through it. But it was a very shattering loss for me because I had finally let myself <laughs> let that wall come all the way down. I'd finally taken the wall down and let myself fully pour my heart into somebody else. And that's what it was met with. So some might even say, oh, well, did you close back down again? Or, you know, did you want to like, are you, you know, what, it, what happened there? And the truth is, I believe in infinite love. And so I, I know that there are many soulmates out there for each and every one of us. And I know that I don't require anything outside of myself in order to live a fulfilled life. Do I want relationships with other people? Sure, I do. But I also don't require any of those extrinsic relationships in order for my life to be fulfilled. I fulfill my life. I have relationships within myself. I have a relationship with my ego mind. I have a relationship with my spiritual gifts. I have a relationship with my God mind, my higher self. I create these relationships within myself and I strengthen those. That's where my focus has been. And when I do that, then naturally my relationships become stronger and my walls come down and I can come into that, that place where it's, it's the connection that I thrive on and, and um, that it inspires me and invigorates me and all of that. So again, not saying it's not important to have relationships with all aspects of our beingness, right? but all extrinsic aspects too. I have a relationship with my computer. <laughs> I have a relationship with the water, you know? So it really fundamentally, when we think about it, it's actually all about relationship. It's a relationship to my grief. It's a relationship to my suffering. And so it's honoring those relationships that allows for us to move through things more quickly. Being enlightened, by the way, I want to share this. This is coming up intuitively, so I feel like we better share this. Yeah. I, had, I had a friend over the other day, and I was telling her about some drama I was dealing with. She goes, but dear, you're, you're enlightened. How can you have drama? And I laughed, and I said, well, first of all, the more enlightened I am, the less enlightened I realize I really am. <laughs> <laughs> secondly, secondly, the most enlightened people still have drama in their lives because they need those experiences to activate something else, to move them to the next level, et cetera, et cetera. But here's 
one of the things that I do know about this is that how we respond to those experiences is way more important than the experience itself. So what I mean by this is how I choose to respond to grief, how I choose to respond to loss, how I choose to respond to the shit show of the world. It's more important that response than the actual experience itself. Because when we choose to respond in a way that allows us to leverage, to receive, to uh, move us to higher realms of enlightenment or what have you, then what happens is we evolve and we expedite the evolution of ourselves. So there are people that will evolve, but their process might be slower because evolution is a natural process, right? So it will happen naturally that we will get rid of the weaknesses that we have. That's natural. But if you really want to expedite it, then look at how you're responding to the rest of the world and see if you can adjust that. Because if you adjust that, then all of a sudden you move yourself into a place where it doesn't matter what's happening around you. It doesn't matter. You're not swept into the undercurrent of it. In fact, what happens is you rise above it and you receive all the value from it. You're, you're winning. You're winning always when yeah. you do that, right? Yeah. So anyway. Uh, so much there. The, the biggest thing I pulled out of that was you talked about uh, how you respond and, and being able to detach from anything outside of yourself which will then invite in deeper connections. It really struck me was the the link of guilt and shame to control. Ooh. So when we're trying to control the external world, feeling like we have control of the external world, that's where the guilt and shame comes up because then we think, could should we have done more? Could we mm-hmm. have done more? What should I have done differently? That's trying to control the external. Some things yeah. will just happen. But coming back to what you said, how you respond, responsibility is how you respond. That's the key part. Just just for, for some context, and if you can do this quickly, because I want to come back to something else, that's a big step from going from, well, I've got all this interaction with the external world, but being able to have that place of making peace of like, well, I'm actually never alone anyway, because I have this internal part of me where I have all these different relationships. Now, that was a real pivotal moment for me a few years ago. But I'd love to hear for you to explain to the listeners how, how will they make that transition? Mm. Or what can they start to do to allow space for that transition to come to realise that they're, they're never truly alone? Yes, you want to have good connections in your external world, but to be able to make peace allows more of that connection. Yeah, you know, it, it's not necessarily like a snap of the fingers or a wave of the wand, abracadabra, you know, it is a process. And so some people, they can get there faster than others. But if someone is really caught up in that extrinsic world, the first thing I actually suggest they do is they befriend their ego, because it's the ego logical mind that really is the driving force in the attachment to, oh, I need to buy that car, or I need to have this, or I need to show up in this way, right? It's that's, that's the logical aspect of the mind. The ego mind is needed. If we think about to the caveman days, the cave, you come out of the cave and you say, okay, there's the hazards and whatever, the ego mind was needed to keep us alive. 
But the ego mind has now run rampant within us. So the ego mind intercepts all the time. It says, well, you don't have this and you're not good enough for this and you're not this and whatever the stories that ego mind is telling you because it wants to keep you safe. That's its ultimate play. However, in wanting to keep us safe, it actually keeps us stuck, right? It keeps us from moving forward, from breaking through these beautiful boundaries that show us freedom and liberty on the other side. So befriend the ego. Hi, ego mind. Thanks for showing up, but I've got this. That's my phrase. I say that to my ego mind throughout the day. Thanks, ego mind, but I've got this. <laughs> you know? And so that's one of the first things because some people find it easier than uh, building the relationship to the higher self for some reason. So I start with the ego mind. Um, it feels a little more tangible for most people. I also suggest giving your ego mind a name. Okay. Mine is Jane. Her name's Jane. I love the name Jane. Um, I know a friend, she calls hers the itty bitty shitty committee. You can call <laughs> it whatever you want. <laughs> you go whatever you want. But sometimes that helps you to connect and build that relationship. So that, that's a tip. The next piece of that and um occasionally tell jane to shut the fuck up right i'm gonna do that too i'm like you're on the line girl oh out you go right thank you below um so again it's a befriending of meant to be but you know you treat your friends however you treat your friends right? <laughs> so that that to me was one of the big changes for me and really getting that out of the way now, the other piece, of course, is building relationship to God or the God mind that you have within you. That's also known as the higher self, universal consciousness. There's all sorts of names that we can call it. And here's the beautiful part. When we allow ourselves to receive from our God mind, oh my gosh, the magic begins because there is a channel of possibility and your God mind is always working for you. But most of the time you're working against it, <laughs> you're blocking the flow of energy. And so it can't help you to manifest what you want. So the first step is to, to really start to find that truth within you, that you have this higher consciousness within you. That is, that is a key. You have to believe it to be true for it to really work fully. You have to know it to be true. And so, um, it requires a little bit of faith at the beginning, but I promise you, if you challenge that God mind, it will show you, it will give you the answers. It will prove to you of its existence. It will. And I've tested it many times. Trust me. I know. <laughs> so if you want validation, that's, you know, do that. Um, but then of course it's learning to recognize that this God aspect it really does have things under control. It's not you that is supposed to have things under control. We don't know what we need most of the time. We can't see the bigger picture. We are so good at judging scenarios with the blinders on saying, oh, it's this way and this is the right thing to do. It's like, we don't freaking know, man. There's this big, big, big bird's eye view, the omniscient view of God, of Christ consciousness, of universal energy, whatever, that knows exactly what we need exactly what the people we love need, exactly what we all need globally and beyond. And so it's leaning into that trust because when you lean into that trust, all of a sudden life gets a lot easier, let me tell you, when it's being led that way. Then we don't feel this like powerless feeling or the helplessness. You know, you talked about that feeling of like guilt and shame and like, well, that's partly because we want to control, right? Let it go, man. 
when you have personal power and you understand your ability to harness the power of God, you don't need to have power over anything else. That need goes away completely. Love it. Now, <clears throat> on that, I love how you've controlled the conversation away from the uh, the heartbreak around your loss. So oh, I did that so easily, didn't I? <laughs> oh yeah, wait, we're talking about someone dying, right? <laughs> if it's okay, can we go back there? Because yeah, yeah, of course. That that you've lost these people early on who are important people in your life, but then it and you've done a heap of work on it, and then it shows up again for what you described, the love of your life. Yeah. The worst nightmare, (laughs) like the worst scenario of what I didn't want to happen. Guess what I manifested? Yeah. So what was that? What was that time like? Like how it must have, there must have been a lot of things coming crashing down in your mind and your emotions around all of that. Big time. I feel like I started grieving the loss before he actually went though. So that was one thing that, I mean, thankfully I had those premonitions because it was almost like in a way it was like, I maybe was not prepared, but I had already kind of accepted some level of that on some way. But when it actually happened, I actually said the words, are you fucking kidding me? He actually died. Like I said that to my higher self. Yeah. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what (laughs) you know and um you know and it's interesting because there was a slew of other deaths around him it seemed they seemed to come in clumps so i lost um three uncles and an aunt and him in a year or two two years i should say two years Mm -hmm. so it was it was again it was like this uprising of all this old energy that i thought i dealt with but didn't really deal with right um, that came back again. So other layers. And so, yes, I would have dealt with some of that. So I, I'm not being hard on myself, but recognizing that as I'm peeling these layers back, that I'm also coming to this place of acceptance that it's not even about this physical world, that it is so much more than this physical world. And it is my attachment to the beliefs of life and death that are actually holding me hostage. And so I have still, I'm still working on it, but I'm in the process of understanding uh, what death really means because death was always made to be like the worst case scenario, right? Death was what you don't want to have happen. Yeah. But what if death is something you do want to happen? What if death is something that is part of this, grander evolution of who we are and yet we've got again the narrowed lens to say oh death is so bad like death is the worst and we have to suffer right through that so i'm still processing a lot of it to be honest i'm still processing the energy i'm still accepting that on some level i'm i i manifested this loss again for myself to move through the next layer of it um but I also know that everything in it is in its divine place. And I know that that might sound a little cliche because, oh, okay, everything happens for a reason. You know, don't say that to someone grieving, right? But mm-hmm. when I think about it, when I really think about it, I recognize that death is not 
darkness. Death is not uh, for us to um, for us to resist or for us to make again make the bad guy like we do with grief and anger and all these other low vibration energies. Death is a beautiful access point for us to deepen our connection, to appreciate our lives, to uh, befriend um, other individuals who are coming together for that person. You know, one of the most beautiful things out of this whole experience is that, um, the, you know, this loss of, his name is Andy, by the way, the loss of Andy, when we went on our holiday, he introduced me to his best friend. So guess who's now my new best friend and has okay. been since his passing? I speak to Allie on the regular now and we are like two peas in a pod. You know, she's taken my courses. Like we're just like this. He left us with each other. Wow. Had, had his experience not happened, that those connections wouldn't have been made. And so we forget that there's a much bigger ripple effect in the aftermath. Yeah. And then we get to consciously choose how we respond to that. So, so anyway, I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole around death, but the point being is that even in death, there is light. Yeah. Even in death, there is nourishment for our souls. You know, when I think about the funerals I've been to, I got to see cousins and family and hug them and love them and embrace them that I hadn't seen for a long time. And it was beautiful and wonderful. So there is there is something more to all of this. And even though I'm still on this path of discovery about it, um, it's allowed me to recognize that there's nothing I can do that can stop any of this from happening. But there is something I can do about how I choose to move through the world, how I choose to appreciate my life and how I choose to respond. Wonderful. It, it can be both. It can be a extremely traumatic and sad and horrific moment and it can also provide you with incredible light yeah it's allowed to be both and that's a, yeah. a great share um you talked about you know what if death isn't as bad as what we have been led to believe it comes back to that you know well you know if if you've been bad you're going to go to hell and if you've been good you're going to go to heaven and it's like oh but there's this fear around what's on the other side it's like well what if it's just part of our soul's evolution and it yeah. will take us forward to the next stage of that evolution. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm with you. This is the more that we can learn. And I just want to highlight something else is that, like, just because someone like Dee has a public profile and has done a heap of work doesn't mean stuff doesn't still come up. And you've, you've freely admitted that you're still grappling with this and, and you've mm -hmm. got another relationship now, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, so, so then, then there must be still things playing out there that, that have an impact and, and that's okay because then it's part of your own growth and own evolution and, and to deepen those relationships. So, uh, yeah, thank yeah. you so much for, for really highlighting that, Dee. Oh, and I, I love that you brought up that death can be both. It can be sad and painful and it can be light just like everything can be, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I... I don't want to take away from someone's experience of suffering because, you know, we all, we all have to face pain. We're all dealt that same hand, right? As human beings, we experience pain, but our soul, when our soul was choosing to come here, it said, you know what? Yeah. I want to go. I want to go and experience life. I want to go and feel the feels. I want to, 
I want to experience it in its fullness. Yeah, I want to do that. And then we get here and we're like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> Why did my soul put me here? What what the F, you know? <laughs> and and the truth is, is that when we come into that forgiveness piece, because I know a lot of people, they're angry that their soul chose to be here right now. And when we come into this place of forgiveness to say, you know what? I, I reconcile this. I see that I was meant to come here so that I can receive as much as possible. I'm ready to receive as much as possible. Then, then we, again, open up that channel for us to be able to receive. And I think we've been blocking ourselves a lot of that receiving energy, especially if you're a people pleaser like me, you know, we've been pouring into all these other people. But the yeah. truth is that our our world is moving into receiver mode to receive the grace of God, to receive the divine light, to receive the infinite love that is available to us. So again, we get to choose whether we want to tune into that, whether we want to hold space for the low vibration and honoring that low vibration and seeing it not so much as the bad guy, but as a contributor to the greater good. It changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Dee, uh, I know your time is limited today, so I thank you for for being so open and sharing uh, as much as you have. Just before you go, where can people find out more about what you do and your work as an intuitive medium in business? Ah, thank you so much. So you can find me at rosehope.ca. I am Canadian, so I've got the .ca, rosehope.ca, and you can learn more about me and what I do there. And particular, my area of expertise is the Akashic Records, which is your book of life or your soul's library. And so that's that's my jam right there. I love doing that work. It's powerful and, stuff. And I can fully recommend that. Having had an experience uh, with those records myself um, was an eye-opener and an absolutely euphoric experience. So, uh, yeah, I can, I can definitely recommend that from experience. Dee, thank you so much. Uh, I feel like we only scratched the surface with you and I think I'm going to have to get you back again because uh, so many more questions. But thank you for sharing so much of your journey and the, the lessons and, and wisdom and light through your vast amounts of experience with loss and grief. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for holding the space for me to share. You know, I don't talk about grief a lot. I tend to lean on the other side, right? Like joy and happiness and manifestation. So it's powerful for me to have these conversations. And one thing I want to share with you that I've really discovered today is how important that I it is that I continue to share these conversations with other people and my own challenges and struggles that I have. So I thank you for opening that up for me and, and again for holding the space for me to share today. Thank you so much, Ian. You're so welcome. Thank you, Vidi. We'll leave it there. Amazing. See ya. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, 
please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.